senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 67. Yes. It's hard to keep track. It feels like we've done nothing but podcasts for the last <laughs> week. I'm sick of the sound of my own fucking voice, so thanks <laughs> thanks for tuning back in. But what can I say? Come back from a convention and actually had decent audio recording equipment out there, and we have extra stuff to share that we have never had in the past. Bonus tracks. Oh, many, many goddamn bonus tracks. I've listened to these panels as I edited out <laughs> clips that we could talk about over and over and over again. So much bonus. Well, it, it's, it is kind of weird to do it that way. And, and I will say now, I'm not prepared to, to do it yet. I mean, literally uh, not prepared. I haven't said any of the, the groundwork. But uh, for three of these panels, we have full recordings of the entire audio and... Sometime later this week, as I investigate places where I can put them, I'm gonna upload the entire MP3 uh, somewhere. Of, yeah, of the of the uncut panels. We've got the uh, Secret Wars, Last Days, the New DC Universe, and uh, the Batman panel. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna put them in not high bandwidth, so it's not gonna be the best quality in the world. But if you've never been to a convention and want to get at least the auditory sense of what it's like to be at one of these things, eh, they're out there for you if you feel like it. But they're cool. not yet, so don't go looking for them. It's not in the show notes. I haven't found a place to put them yet, so so don't bother yet. I just want to stoke the enthusiasm. You're you're good at that. Have you ever considered being a hype man? Um, I could get you like a, a giant gold um, watch necklace. <laughs> um, you know this horrible shattered knee from my <laughs> uh, my athletic injury. <laughs> I was playing quarters. I fell off the stool. Oh, oh. Uh, I just, I physically can't carry the clock. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and I would look ridiculous with a grill. Ask Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, you know what? Uh, th that picture of him as the Joker, I don't see what really the big deal is. It's kind of a different interpretation, but it doesn't really look all that. It, it, I didn't have a problem with it. No. It's the 21st century. He, he's he been in prison. Of course he has some tattoos, for Christ's sake. The damage to cross his forehead, that's the one thing I probably had a, a problem with. I don't think the Joker sees himself as damaged at all. No. But you know, everything else, yeah, yeah, he looked appropriately nuts. It was kind of a kind of a classic-ish look, you know, more pale than bleached white, but I thought it was all right. Yeah, I mean... It... The tats were weird, but let's consider how the Joker has looked in in recent years. He had a face. Um, <laughs> He's got the face back. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, he had a face. <laughs> he did. But, all right, you've got a valid point there, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see it. I mean, yeah. the biggest problem I had with that picture is it jacked up the value on old Suicide Squad <laughs> comics. and Now you can't... Well, you did find some. We went to the local comic book store and you found some. Oh, yeah, I've got that much sought after, I think, issue 38 <laughs> and maybe like 42. Like the gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but... So, yeah, I don't want to get too far afield because, yeah, we're taping this much later than usual on a Wednesday night. We're simply not equipped to really tape during the week. <laughs> now, usually I'm savagely drunk, having just gone from the comic store straight to the bar right now. So this is really fucking with my flow. Well, the important thing is, you're with us. 
gentle listeners. Um, although the bar misses us terribly. <laughs> yeah, they might not make rent this week. <laughs> but so, all right. So, so we want to start with just what the Secret Wars is first on my list of, of stuff that we have. Okay. So, so yeah, this was the uh, Secret Wars last days panel. Uh, was the first Secret Wars panel on Saturday at C two E two. Um, I don't have the list of everybody that was there, but uh, Nick Lowe, uh, one of the editors, was the moderator. Uh, Jake Thomas, another editor, was there. Uh, Al Ewing, uh, who does uh, Loki, Agent of Asgard, yep. Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. Dan Slott was probably the big name. Everybody likes to yell at Dan Slott. So, <laughs> uh, Charles Soule. Yep. So, uh, Dennis Hopeless. Yes, Dennis Hopeless was there. Um, so, yeah, really, I'm just going to go through the clips sort of uh, in the order that they, they went out. Um, now, this particular one was not about Secret Wars itself. Various series leading up to Secret Wars or as Secret Wars are going on are going to have this concept of a last days. You know, it's sort of the way for the big heroes uh, like Wolverine and uh, Daredevil over the years have gotten their theoretical last stories. Well, yeah. Uh, now with Secret Wars and the universe exploding, well, what the fuck? Everyone gets a big final story. It's like Oprah. You get a last story, and you get a last story. <laughs> you get to celebrate the end of the world, and you get to watch <laughs> the world die. And But it, also part of why I wanted to start with this, besides the fact it was the first thing in front of me, was mm -hmm. the th we, we've talked in the past about the difference between Marvel and DC panels. Normally, DC panels are uniformly more informative and fun it feels like um and you'll definitely see that when we talk about the batman panel probably during a show tomorrow um which would be thursday today's wednesday right yes all day <laughs> go got to new, hell well you got new comics today of course it's wednesday well th that's true but with the convention i also got new comics on monday so <laughs> yeah i don't know what the hell's going on but so yeah the the marvel panels really tend to feel there's certainly entertaining moments in them and they're informative to be at, but more PR and hype. Yeah. And this is not the worst one we we've, we've been at. We've been at somewhere. Who is it? Uh, Arun Singh in yeah. between who's reading and loving whatever. Doesn't matter what the book was. Who's reading and loving the book of revelations. It's, <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm down with that. It's just like, Oh, please don't say it again. <laughs> but this one was not uh, that bad, but here, here's a perfect example of that kind of, empty no message hype the first book they talked about was ms marvel last yes. days so th this is nick lowe uh talking about that book and this is literally all he says kamala khan is ms marvel she's an incredible new character uh, one of our best new characters in decades uh, and she will have a really cool last day story leading up to secret wars and it's by g willow wilson and adrian alfano with covers by chris Anka, like that amazing cover right there so you'll see that Jersey City and Ms. Marvel are affected in a very unique way in a very Ms. Marvel story. So basically, it's a Ms. Marvel story starring Ms. Marvel in Ms. Marvel City. Ms. Marveling it up. Exactly. Written by the people who write Ms. Marvel. And that's literally all he said about it. Yeah, I learned that somebody in the audience had allergies. Well, <laughs> that might have been me, actually. <laughs> You're learning that. I listened to that clip 46 times to get it pulled out of there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's really all he said about it. They got something cool for Ms. Marvel. Yeah, because they didn't go on to it. And it, in contrast to some of the other clips that we'll hear, they that's all they said. So if you haven't been reading Ms. Marvel, 
you learn nothing new that might possibly spark your interest to get into it. If if you are reading Ms. Marvel, you didn't learn anything that you didn't already know. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a, a couple like that. Uh, for example, the next book they talked about almost similarly this has one additional piece of information, but uh, yeah, here's Nick Lowe on uh, Magneto's Last Days. Also coming with a Last Days story is Magneto by Cullen Bunn, Paul Davidson, with covers by David Yarden. Now, their character on the, on the cover on the right, who can tell me who that is? Sugar Oh, God. That sound clip has haunted my dreams <laughs> since you pulled it. So yes, Sugar Man will, uh, will be in Magneto's last day. Hold on, there's a little more. Sugar Man is one of my favorite X-Men villains of all time. And I, that's how I hear his voice in my head, so I know I'm particularly looking forward to the story. So the voice in Nick Lowe's head makes my fucking teeth grind. Yeah, apparently. So we've learned a thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's literally, I, walking out of that panel, I couldn't get that out of my head. No, wait, wait, wait. Rob, tell me, what's Nick Lowe's internal monologue? <laughs> How does Nick Lowe get to sleep at night? <laughs> Why can't Nick Lowe stop himself from crying? <laughs> <laughs> no, please continue. You got more? No, no, no. I'm going to stop on a solid three. I'll, I'm sure we'll get back to that. Oh, God. <laughs> What does Nick Lowe call a Perlmutter? Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have fun with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then they moved on to uh, Black Widow's uh, Last Days. Um, this is uh, Jake Thomas, who is that book's editor. This one at least has a little bit of information about kind of maybe sort of what it's about. Uh, in this Last Days story, Nathan... Uh, wants to both uh, look at where Natasha is in the present, which is in a very bad place if you know what's going on uh, in Secret Wars, and the fact that these stories are called Last Days, uh, things look pretty bleak. We didn't accidentally walk into this fucking panel. We had an idea that things were going to go wrong, <laughs> goddammit. But uh, he's also going back to the very beginning of Natasha's story, and his idea is he wanted to find the worst thing that Natasha ever did during her bedroom days. The thing that has haunted her uh, and made her the, the person that she is ever since. No, I know what it is. <laughs> you, you beat me to finding some way to set you up to do that. That's all right. Believe me, <laughs> I'll find ways to do it. It's not going to be a problem. Um, I mean, that one, it sounds, at least there's some information there. So that sounds a little bit, interesting. Yeah. I've not been following that book. Have you been reading that one? I, I keep. I have a stack of them. I, it's on my polls. I, I need to catch up. <laughs> well, catch up quick, because because <laughs> the world's ending. Yeah, because it's looking pretty bleak. Yeah, <laughs> looking pretty bleak. But, um, so yeah, here's uh, some more. Jake Thomas is also going to be a, a Punisher. Uh, last days. I keep wanting to say end of days because of Daredevil. End right, of days. Right. I really love that book. <laughs> Gee, but, why would Daredevil be on your mind? Well, <laughs> the, the, I can't get to the no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, here's Jake Thomas uh, on Nathan Edmondson's Punisher Last Days. Uh, Nathan's been telling this very long-form story with Punisher and watching Punisher come up against these forces that are just getting bigger and crazier and harder to deal with. And so when I talked to him about these last two uh, issues, uh, these in the days issues in 1920, he said, you know, world's ending, what are we going to do with Frank? Nathan's response was, 
we're going to have him kill a ton of people. <laughs> now, I've actually been generally following that book. Have you, have you been? I've, I've been in and out. I, I enjoy it. It's that one seems interesting because it there was a Punisher the end story that Garth Ennis right. wrote. Yeah. Um, had uh, what is it, Richard Corbin art, which is not a bad story, but was so relentlessly bleak. And yeah. but the end stories aren't supposed to be canon, right? No, they're you know, standard Elseworlds yeah. style imaginary. Whereas stories. in theory, these last days of our canon. Yeah, look, there was a Wolverine the end, and it didn't involve him uh, getting his scrot dunked in adamantium. <laughs> these things uh, they come and go as necessary. But, right. um, but yeah, I mean, with the stuff that Punisher's been coming up against since Edmondson uh, took it over, you know, with the Howling Commandos and crime bosses and, you know, to see how he now reacts when, yeah, there's really nothing left to lose. Right. That, that seems kind of interesting to me. Yeah. No, and, and there's been sort of an interesting, um, some, of, some of the more mystical characters like Ghost Rider have been involved and... In... Okay. So... So yeah, it's a move on to a to Al Ewing, who I said in the last show could not believe just how goddamn English he is. He's very English. He's he's oh he he's quite English. Uh, and here's an example: as they were getting ready to take questions, uh, Nick Lowe gave the panel a hypothetical. Okay, it's your last days, and you've learned you have eight hours to live. What are you going to do with it? And uh, here's what Ewing said. Well, given I'm like heading out to the airport, uh, you've got two hours to get on the flight. It's about an eight-hour thing back to the UK. I'd probably just die. <laughs> I mean, any joke ending with I'll probably just die, I'm for, but that's just a... That's so bleak. That's a relentless English accent. It is, it is. But, uh, it's so... It, so yeah, he's he had a couple of books he was talking about on this, and uh, started out with Captain America and Mighty Avengers. And issue nine is the last hours, the final hours. What do what do these guys do in in the last hours? And they're all they're all very different people. They've all got different responses. Um, and, and I wanted to include, I wanted to make sure include not just the field team, not just the guys with the superpowers, but like include the regular people, the old Mighty Avengers, the 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 phone operators, and the kind of and the people who. Yeah, I don't need you to tell my story. I'm curled around a bottle of JD, whimpering like a moron. We've discussed this. <laughs> if the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm just staying by the front door until they come in. Oh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not surviving. I'm not even going to try. I don't have the energy. It's not worth running to the end of the block, for Christ's sake. So just find me with my whiskey, and I will wait to maybe wake up on Battle World. <laughs> I'm going to have to build a panic room for the both of us, aren't I? It's very possible. Okay. But... <laughs> Consider Parker. Okay. Yeah, he'll get him first. Yeah, no, you're right. I, <laughs> I can't die in front of him. He'll fucking eat me. Exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm surprised he's not nibbling on my fingers in the night, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but this, he, he has not, uh, Ewing has not yet gotten to the twist, so let's go on. No, and do what they can. And um, to, to kind of draw the handle, we end with the most exciting way you've ever been called. You. So this, this is a comic that will actually have you in it. You all get to be in this comic, you're all in the final scene, it's all seen through your eyes. So, you know, uh, so pick up issue nine to find out if I possibly pulled that off. I would have to be... <laughs> if I'm at the end of the world, yeah, the artist better have drawn it seeing double, for Christ's sake. <laughs> See, that's a that's kind of a bummer, because I've really enjoyed that book as it's gone along. 
Yeah, we, we talked a, a little bit in an earlier episode about how we brought back the Beyond Corporation. Yeah, yeah. And sort of made Next Wave canon, at least until Secret Wars, and I respect that because I fucking love Next Wave. Yeah, um, I... I've been rereading Next Wave. I had forgotten how, I mean, I can't believe that I had forgotten how much I enjoyed it, but I'd forgotten exactly how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I reread few, a few of the issues as I was going through the comic collection to build up the studio here. But uh, yeah, reading it front to back, uh, I'm glad he brought at least a little of that into canon. Yeah. Um, You have been reading Loki, Agent of yes. Asgard. So yeah, here's what Ewing has coming up, and it's... Uh, Gonna be a big Loki sausage fest. <laughs> the gods of Asgard being gods can sort of sense the end of all the stories happening and the end of everything. And they've got a lot of scores this up. So massive total war breaks out in, in Asgard, kind of and with a fuse lit to that massive total war. The fuse is lit by King Loki as part of a plan to kind of try to survive. Uh, he's got this plan now maybe he can survive the end of everything, because that's all he cares about. The the other Loki, the Loki that you saw is uh, is going to be coming up against him. So it's, it's Loki versus Loki. It's the final Loki versus Loki. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to die. <laughs> everything's things going to explode. We're going to bring back elements. Uh, there's one element we're bringing back from the Simonson run, which I think is going to blow everybody's mind off. There's there's emotions. There's all the all the feels that you used to all of the cool, all of that cool stuff. But there's also cosmic integration <coughs> at the end of the world. The gods smashing into each other with their big hairy fists. And this is it. This is the big one. So Loki's beating on Loki, and the and the the gods are smashing into each other. Big hairy fists. Yeah. All right. Sounds like a locker room brawl for Christ's <laughs> sake. Well, not necessarily a brawl, but I think I heard him say something about all the feels in there, though. So that's that's good. Yep. Something in a locker room, anyway. <laughs> it's a. I've been reading that book on and off. I did read the latest issue. Did you read it? I have not. Yeah, I have to catch up on books this All week. Right. Well, then I won't spoil it for you, but it's it's not a bad ending. It's okay. a, Ewing's become one of my favorite recent writers at Marvel. Yeah. And yeah. It's a, I always just thought he had a, you know, because, <laughs> again, the first one I read was Captain America and Mighty Avengers, and he just had that that street-level language. I thought, wow, he's really stretching to do Loki. It's a, no, he's probably bashing himself about the parietal lobe with whiskey and broken <laughs> glass to try to be able to talk like a fucking American. <laughs> so, all right. So, so yeah, the, the big name at the panel that everyone wanted to speak. And I, I said it before with his Twitter pictures where he's just has that impish grin making the spidey thwip motion with every celebrity that he can put the arm on or get near. <laughs> Uh, I could have sworn Dan Slott had, you know, the, like just sort of a, a little impish voice. Uh, he does not. Uh, and here's where he, he talks about Silver Surfer's uh, last days. And this is really sort of the wild card book yeah. based on what they said at this panel of all of them th that are coming up. So this is going to be one to keep an eye on. When Civil Wars happens, you're going to be left with Battle World. And there's nothing else. Do you guys like the Marvel Cosmic books? They're gone. <laughs> Cree, Skrull, you know, everything. It's it's gone. There, there's no more anything. No more Reptilians. No more any Marvel alien race you loved or cared about is gone. Spartax gone. Everything. The whole universe. Whoosh. All our costume characters are very gone. To get back to Earth in time. <laughs> 
Nova just happens to be on Earth. And it looks at the Guardians and we happen to be on Earth. Silver Surfer is the one character in the Marvel Universe who is not on Earth in the cosmos who somehow survives. And he has been given unheralded powers to recreate the universe. Oh my god. What? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> wow. But, so the the last of his race is wandering the the universe with a companion. I, where where have I heard that before? Well, everybody knows. That he's, <laughs> everybody knows he's trying to do Doctor Who with a surfboard. He's yeah. he's doing all right with it. Um, frankly, because of that panel, uh, I I added Silver Surfer to my polls, and uh, this week Silver Surfer. D- I've read one or two issues before this and always thought it was not bad. But again, because it's such a heavy-duty Doctor Who riff, I'm much newer to Doctor Who than you are. So it's it's got some interest to me, but not being rabid, I've sort of been, oh, I'll take it or leave it. This latest issue is at the very least a really interesting storytelling exercise. Okay. It is, it is an intricate book that requires a little thinking to actually read, which a lot of time I say is, oh, that's... Yeah, that, that's not a good thing. It needs to be extremely simple, but the, everything is laid out so you can understand what you need to do. It's a different kind of reading experience. Okay. So he clearly has ambitions with the character. So, all right, let's see what he has in mind uh, with the universe. Listening to the clip, it, it sounded like it ought to have been Rocket Raccoon. Boom, you murdered. Boom, you murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, that's not rebuilding. <laughs> well, he's... Not rebuilding. He all of those alien races. Boom, they're murdered. <laughs> oh, okay. So he okay. Look, <laughs> it's been a long fucking day. Would you like some more whiskey? I I very much would. But <laughs> um, all right. So here's a little bit more on a uh, Silver Surfer and what he has to do to rebuild the universe. And, and there's all these problems you're gonna face. Like if you were building the Marvel universe, if you were the Surfer, would you create a universe that had Galactus in it? Maybe this is a chance to fix things. Maybe this is a chance to do it right. How dare you diss Jack Kirby? <laughs> That's not what he was doing. But I think you have to have Galactus. I, I, I think you have to figure he's some sort of alpha predator at the top of whatever food chain or biosphere he's in. You have to have something that is that level predator. Well, in something the size and scope of the Marvel Universe... If there weren't a Galactus, something would become Galactus. Yeah. It's just sort of the nature of, if, if you're going to say, yeah, if, it, if it's an eco- ecosystem that big, there's an apex predator. Yeah. You know, there is the human being of the universe. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, and, and <laughs> so not only does Silver Surfer get to rebuild the universe, uh, he even lets Dawn rebuild a very small part of it. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, come on. She she's in the void too, and when Silver Surfer is recreating the universe, she is like, I have to rebuild Earth. And she's gonna do her level best. And one of the sad things is she really hasn't gone that far outside of Maker Bay. And that's gonna cause some problems. The Earth will be a giant fucking strip mall. <laughs> Tanning booths as far as the eye can see boardwalks <laughs> although I, I i forget where anchor bay is it's either staten island or long island or because again i've only read a couple of the issues until this latest one and now they're firmly out in the middle of space yeah i i i remember the hulk was there that was the episode i uh, the issue that i read <laughs> but 
Yeah, I, I think she's she's going to be finding that she's got some limitations because the whole whole point of her character was that she was sort of a, a homebody and her, her sister was the one out exploring. And that's why it was ironic that she ended up going on this journey with the surfer to begin with. Right. I mean, pure Doctor Who companion shit, which is fine. Yeah. But that's it's kind of the strength of any event that destroys the universe. Yeah, the stuff leading up to it, you can do any goddamn ridiculous, insane thing that you want to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sure. Why not let the nice East Coast girl who's, <laughs> you know, been to the East Coast and the Skrull Empire, <laughs> let her try to rebuild Earth in some form of image. Hell, I wouldn't even be able to rebuild flyover country. I wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> I think it's flat. <laughs> and sometimes when I fly over it, there are different colored squares. <laughs> <laughs> she will stand up upon the summit and she will say, let there be... <laughs> in, a, in a just world, no. No, she won't. No. <laughs> I'd say I'll never get tired of that, but I'm going to wake up screaming. That you are. You are. So I might. <laughs> so, so yeah, speaking of doing crazy ass shit, even though it's a, a joke in this, uh, Dennis Hopeless talked about uh, Spider-Woman last days. Now, Spider-Woman recently uh, changed her costume, decided... Fuck all this Avengers shit and Hydra shit. I just want to kick people in the taint and <laughs> and then go obtain donuts or something uh, someplace. So here's Hopeless on uh, Sorta, what he's got in mind for <laughs> Spider-Woman. After coming out of Spider-Verse, Jess was sort of sick of all of the big, crazy, impossible-to-explain Avengers and Spider-Verse nonsense she'd been going through. She just wanted to kind of go back to street level. She teams up with Avengers and she's trying to help people. I just said that. God damn it, don't repeat me. It's a very 80s daredevil sort of a thing when she's running around with a bunch of people in the face. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and then the world's going to end, so we're going to take all of that away from her. And she transforms into a giant spider and goes into space, and she's going to fight with another guy. I would read the hell out of Spider-Woman become a giant space spider. <laughs> that would be kind of awesome. But... Damn you, Terrigen Mists. Damn you, Party Liquor. <laughs> Damn you. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? It works for everything. I'm going to get rid of all the other sound clips. No. <laughs> no. All right. Who will warn people to protect their balls? <laughs> God damn it, i got to be a little quicker. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. From. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Only a fucking human being. Give me a break. Dance, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it it really is is weird. This is you know, the big secret wars thing, and these are the last days. And more of these characters are just sort of Earth streetish. I mean, Ms. Marvel and all right, Magneto's not street level, no. but you know, Black Widow, Punisher. You know, most of these, except for Silver Surfer so far, are just, you know, yep, okay, uh, we're on Earth and we're kind of fucked. Yeah. So, the more I think about this panel, uh, yeah, this probably is not the best one to go to. Eh, I think think it was worthwhile just because it's interesting to listen to how an event is going to affect specific characters. That's true. I mean, seeing Punisher come to the end of the world is very interesting to me. Yeah. You know, seeing Captain America and the Mighty Avengers try and deal with all this, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Woman, who just decided to, yeah, clean up alleys. 
all right, Spider-Woman gets fucked over. I've been seeing that since fucking Secret Invasion. Yeah, yeah. But then speaking of small heroes, it's going to be Last Day's Ant-Man, who's only on, I think, his fourth issue, and now he's fucked. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a, I think this is the editor of the book, John Moisten. Okay. Uh, Moisten? <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, talking about the Ant-Man. The way, he, the way that we explore that is we go, we finally see a, uh, a retirement home of Golden Age superheroes. Uh, I know that sounds super thrilling. Uh, uh, so this is going to be filling in a little bit of the Ant-Man universe, a little bit of Ant-Man in Miami and, and the characters he interacts with. Um, he'll be teaming up actually with a, uh, a Golden Age superhero that we've already seen in the story. Uh, you do not know who it is yet, but we uh, that person, um, and uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun. If you like the man, if you if you uh, have found that book uh, to be you know funnier and, and something you enjoy, then I, this this is a really fun issue, a really fun way to uh, see Ant Man celebrate the end of the. He's oh. excited about it. He's excited about it. He's a terrible person. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's sick of the world. He's really sick of the world. <laughs> Thought that was the other Ant Man, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just weird. It's a okay. We're going to show the end of the world through Ant Man's eyes, like a month before his fucking movie comes out. So what? I'm just going to see a lot of ankles. Oh Jesus! Sorry, <laughs> low hanging fruit, as it were. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It, that may just be another case of Marvel's gotten better about it, but for years I've been bitching that none of these companies take really full advantage of the fact that. Okay, you've got a major motion picture. It might be one out of every 500 people walks into a comic store, but right. they do. And they want to see something like what they just saw in the movie theater. Yes. And it seemed like, particularly for years, it really didn't feel like until the first Avengers movie that any of these uh, any of these publishers had similar books. Because Avengers Assemble was out for the Avengers movie. And literally the issue that was available... Uh, had, yeah, everybody that you saw in the movie, Thanos was at the end of it, so it was a real potential hook for somebody. You know, my big thing was when The Dark Knight was the biggest superhero movie that was ever made, Batman was fucking dead in Final Crisis. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's constantly like that. You know, it, they, they've gotten better about it, but uh, this one really kind of feels like, okay, we're going to put him through the end of the world. Just in time for his movie. Where's Ant-Man? Well, if you look through all these Secret Wars books, yeah. you might find him in one <laughs> in, in the corner. Put it put it in the credits. Catch Ant-Man next in Secret Wars number three. <laughs> <laughs> Battle World number five. <laughs> well, and, and particularly with, although it's not going to be that big a deal for the movie, but uh, have you read the, the Rage of Ultron graphic I, novel? I have not, because I wasn't sure if it was going to be related to even canon, so... Well, I mean, that's kind of been the th the thing about it, and I don't want to spoil too much about it, but... I, I do know how it ends, because I've been spoiled on that. Yeah, sorry about that. I was drunk. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to, but... You never mean to. But, and yeah, I don't suppose it matters in the movie, since... Uh, well, no, Hank Pym is in the movie, but... Yeah, Michael Douglas is playing Hank Pym. Yeah, so in Rage of Ultron, the, the Rick Remender graphic novel that came out two or three weeks ago at this point, uh, there's a major fate for Hank Pym and that's sort of the question that's been all along is, okay, is this even in continuity? Does this happen before Secret Wars or after Secret Wars? And yeah. So, so yeah, one thing we 
did get out of this panel is at least a partial answer as to where Rage of Ultron fits into everything. So here's Nick Lowe talking about that. No, it, it, it's definitely in continuity. Uh, I don't know exactly at what point in the continuity it is, though. Um, Tom Brevoort could probably better answer that. He's got a Tumblr called uh, Brevoort Form Spring where he answers fans' questions um, all the time. Uh, some of them are very rude, but, uh, but you, seem, you seem very polite. So- Dear Tom Brevoort, I can't believe that your letters were real. But this actually happened to me. I was out at a convenience store with Ultron. All right, I don't want to go any further down this road. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it lands. I know it lands before the current arcs of Avengers and New Avengers, because those are all eight months later. So I know it happens somewhere before those. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely in continuity. Okay, so there's the answer. There you go. It actually happened as kind of... On one hand, interesting, and one hand, silly. What happened to Hank Pym is, and again, I, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, but I, I, I have, I have much I need to catch up on. <laughs> but again, a hell of a thing to do to a character who's in a major fucking motion picture of yours coming out in just two months. Yeah. So, uh, what can you do? All right, there's. Uh, do we want to do stuff on on Inhumans here? Yeah, why don't we? All right, so so yeah, uh, Charles Soul was there. And this one is weird because I've not been really following the Inhumans at all. Uh, I did read, what's the latest one? Uncanny Inhumans? Uncanny Inhumans um, number zero came out a a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, and that was not bad, but again, I was sort of flat-footed on it because I just, I've not been following it. I I tried the, the Inhuman, just the Inhuman series when it first happened. It was not bad, but... Well, if you're look, they're they're being marketed as a replacement for the mutants. If you're not a mutant person to begin with, or a a weirdly powered person type story follower to begin with, you know what? Ultimately, they need to evolve the Inhumans. I've never been particularly interested in the Inhumans. I'll tell you why. If you look at them from a distance, the three or so most typical, easily recognized Inhumans are Black Bolt, mm-hmm. who doesn't say a fucking thing yeah medusa who's got hair yes and lockjaw who's a dog (laughs) who also doesn't speak it's true there's just there's not there's never been anything interesting at that of, of, of those core characters to me yeah and and because it's it's a royal family and there's political intrigue and all of that if you're if you're not into that kind of story either, then it's not really going to do a hell of a lot yeah. for you. Uh, you know what the book needs? In the night. I'm not going to stop. It will come in the <laughs> night. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things, though, that they are trying to do with it, particularly because they, they've rolled out the concept in the television already and there'll be the movie coming up there they are taking the inhumans out into the world with the destruction of the old kingdom and uh, the fall of adelin and the rise of new adelin and the terrigen mists rolling through the world un- uncovering pockets of new inhumans now they are taking it out to that sort of next generation level i mean they're definitely making an effort yeah and they're definitely expanding the world of the inhumans but at the core you know again that latest, I, I fucked it up again. Mighty Inhumans, Uncanny, Uncanny Inhumans, Uncanny. Yeah, you know, it's it's Black Bolt and Medusa. 
it is, and then it's it's um, Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't go wrong with Kang. But... <laughs> um, but you didn't really need more than that because it was Black Bolt looking for his son because the end of the world is upon us. Yeah, and... But I do need more than that. He's just a stoic, silent motherfucker. But we'll, we'll get to that because they've already sort of hinted at it because as they opened the book up, they were in South America and the Terrigen Mists had uncovered new Inhumans. We don't know what their powers are going to be yet, but as he goes along in this in this story, presumably he's going to run into other new characters. And the buildup is the smart way to go. And as the Inhumans becomes a wider and more diverse group of superheroes see part of the problem is we're right at the beginning we're at about x-men 11 yeah you know the the entire mutant ecosphere and that level of story continuity that was able to build up over years we're just too early in it now marvel is clearly going to drive it in that direction come hell or high water oh yes but we're not there yet so right now we have okay, here are new heroes where we don't know any of them are, and still the public face of this is this dude who doesn't speak in a cowl with a tuning fork on his head. He's not interesting. <laughs> it's like the history classes where Millard Fillmore is the fucking president. Who gives a shit? It's not that interesting. Well, actually, in this book, unlike some of the other books, they, they did let him do his thing. Most of the time, he's just sort of in the background being silently menacing. This time, we did see what his power can do. Yeah, and they actually, if you look real close, you could see some of the words that he's saying. Most of the time, it's just, though he said something, and somebody's head blew up. And boom, you're murdered. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm all for a good scannersing of somebody. <laughs> but... You know, and, and the the backstory in this, uh, the, the, the backup story uh, that was written by Ryan Stegman, that was also enjoyable um, with the, the two newer humans still learning oh, yeah. about their powers and some monster came through the portal and they defeated it but gordon gordon from agents of shield was there so they they are as much as they're not willing to say that they're tying into the television continuity they are certainly if not tying in supporting it oh, they totally are they we've talked about this before they'd be stupid not to right you know, there's all kinds of protestations, and there was in, in this panel. I didn't pull a clip, but uh, yeah, somebody asked about the casting in the Inhumans movies, and he really wanted Vin Diesel for some reason. Well, Vin and Diesel has been teased as Black Bolt. Vin Diesel has been teased as Black Bolt and uh, Black Adam, and he's been teased as various now people. Now, The Rock over the is years. Black Adam. Yeah, I know, and I still think he should have been Captain Marvel. <laughs> I do, but that's not what we're talking about here. But uh, yeah, Nick Lowe protested up and down and said, we don't have anything to do with what Marvel Studios is doing. And yeah, but you all answered Isaac Perlmutter. It's true. You know, Fantastic Four isn't being canceled this week because it's a piece of shit that nobody ever read. Right. It's because the movie's coming out. And we'll get a new Fantastic Four probably three months after uh, that movie comes out on DVD. So they are aware that the comics can be a promotional tool that can support a movie and get a boost from a movie. As long as it's not a movie that they are producing. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> look, ne never question the will of... <sighs> if I did that to poor mother's face, I'd be dead before I hit the ground. Yeah, yeah you would. <laughs> but, 
anyway, with the Inhumans, the one thing I'll give, look, I, I like Charles Soule's writing. Yes. I think he really rescued Red Lanterns uh, and Swamp Thing before he made the jump to Marvel. I want to be interested in the Inhumans. I think it's going to take a while before that mythology widens enough and builds enough roots before I can really say, okay, I, I, I get what's going on and I can dig it. Because, yeah, just Black Bolt does nothing. But he he clearly has enthusiasm for what he's doing and he's trying to, even though right. the two of the three Inhumans everybody thinks of don't fucking speak or do anything, he's trying to get some action into it. So got a clip here of him talking about the uh, Inhumans annual <laughs> that's coming out. So let's do that one. The main story in the annual uh, is that one of these new guys, whose name's Lineage, he's the, he's the bad guy, um, his power is that he can, he can sort of speak to and access anyone who's in his, his lineage, in his, his ancestral line. So he's able to have all this secret historical knowledge and all that stuff about the humans for thousands and thousands of years back. And he's been using that secretly against all of the, uh, the black gold who use all the royal family people for, for the whole story. And now they're just finding out what he's actually been trying to do. Uh, and so uh, Ryan, I think, was thrilled to to read the script and realize that what I've written is this gigantic, huge battle sequence, this enormous thing involving like every character that's been in the book since we started. So that, I'm sure, was super fun, Brian. I think that that's the most I've ever complained while working on something. Two or three I was texting Charles and said, you yeah, better appreciate this. <laughs> and you will, and it's, it is 30 pages of this mind-blowing, action-packed, insanity fest that is like the best work of Ryan's career. So, I mean, he, he clearly is trying to make it an exciting book about yeah. people and animals who don't talk. I'm sorry, I've got a long-term prejudice of whatever I would see the Inhumans in the Avengers, or particularly in the Fantastic Four in the 70s or so. It's like, <laughs> oh, it, it's Medusa talking to Johnny Storm. Bet you could do something with that hair. <laughs> some real good taint tickling or some goddamn Jesus thing. Christ. <laughs> The sad thing is that's my idea of a segue, because then the next thing... End of uh, days, taint tickler. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can write that one down. I don't think that one's going to I don't think that'll iTunes. get through iTunes. But, uh, so yeah, it's, it's specifically Soul talked about some, at least trying to do something with the idea of Medusa can do shit with her hair, you know, beyond... With it? Beyond, yeah, whipping it into your face and tickling your uvula and you can't quite get it out of your teeth and shit like that. <laughs> Her hair can do all kinds of amazing things, right? It goes all over the place and does stuff. Um, so what she's done there is because she's about to go into battle with some, some serious some serious heavy hitters. So she has turned her hair into armor by grabbing sort of pieces of stone and rock and all kinds of like metal and things like that around her and lashing it to herself with her hair. Um, it's it's cool stuff. Around really, I like. I don't know what you thought when you read that in the uh, in the script description, but you certainly held it on the page. Oh yeah, no, that was a really exciting one to read because. Uh, there was so many moments like that where I got to play around and do something that I hadn't been seen before. Hey, Medusa, can you move all your hair like that? <laughs> That's all I can picture right now. Is, <laughs> is it just on her head? <laughs> no wonder Black Bolt hangs around. Oh my god! <laughs> it can always be worse. <laughs> <sighs> I have no response to that. I, I don't even know. I... <laughs> All right. I broke Amanda. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. There. See something different for a change. Because uh. even, even I'm getting tired of the Sugar Man thing. I walked into the show going, ah, I'm going to get so much use out of that. And 
I've used it to beat it into the fucking dirt. No, I'm I'm still hung up on pubes that move independently. I just... <laughs> <laughs> so am I. I won't sleep tonight. I had to think that. How do you think I feel, for fuck's sake? <laughs> All right. So one more Inhumans thing. There's another series uh, coming out, Adelon Rising, uh, and this is just sort of the basic plot that he's got going on. The main concept of, uh, of Adelon Rising is that you have a superhero resistance movement. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they're resisting, but they are, think of like the French resistance in World War II or something like that. Uh, they are, they're actually led by Black Bolt, and Medusa is sort of the top cop who's been, been assigned to take them down. So it's, it's a very fun sort of life during wartime story. Yeah, see, again, it's Medusa and Black Bolt. It, they got to move the Inhumans past that. It's just never going to work for me. They're trying to. They're introducing new Inhumans. No, I don't know who they are off the top of my head, but they are trying to introduce them. And then they will all die because Battle World. But, you know. Well, <laughs> they'll keep the good ones. I, I guess. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, we're actually uh, coming up to the uh, the end of that panel. Then moved into questions, and actually I've played one or two of the questions sort of out of context because I went with uh, stuff we were already talking about. But, uh, you know, the constant... And, again, we've been to a lot, of, a lot of panels at a lot of conventions over the years. Yes. And there's always a certain amount of sniping at the other publisher. Yes. Marvel is always... An order of magnitude further up, taking shots at DC. and I miss when they would just talk shit about each other around the uh, annual softball game. I don't even think they play that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always sort of... It was one of those things for years and years and years in the 70s and 80s, you would get these crossovers. and Yeah. Leading up to a Amalgam comic, so it's... They shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at least they were kind of working together. And I think the last thing was JLA Avengers with... a. Yes. Uh, George Perez art and uh oh why am I blanking? Mark Wade write that one? Uh that's a good question. I forget. We can look it up and put it in the show notes. Uh sure, why not? But um but yeah, it's uh, when there's sniping to be had, Marvel always yeah, it seems to be just a little harsher about it and just a little quicker with they, it. They are the mean girls of of the the two publishers. Yeah. Well, when when you're on top, you don't have to try so hard, I guess, but Oh, you don't look quite as fat today. <laughs> Really? Thank you. <laughs> but so, so yeah. And right now, with convergence happening at DC and Secret Wars happening at Marvel, with at least a certain similarity behind, oh, when it's all done, things will all be different. You know, Marvel and you know Dan Slott in particular at this panel, you know, had to take a shot at convergence. So uh, we, we got that. One of, one of the things that's very different um, at Marvel is you can tell that Sequel Wars was going to happen from the second Jonathan Hickman started writing his Avengers run. We've known this is coming for a long time. We've known exactly when the Sequel Wars is going to hit, when we were going to tell these stories. So something I think that gives us a leg up over any other company telling these kind of stories is this has always been on the calendar, this has always been on the map. And all of us writers have been thinking about this for a long time. And we're all ready to give you a really good bang in all of your last days in Battle World and Warzone stories. Dan wants to give me a good bang. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> oh, I'm glad he clarified. I'm going to have to take such a shower after this show. <laughs> he was wrong and you knew it. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> you just want to suck the joy out of everything. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> But the thing is, 
I get what he's saying, and when it comes to this particular moment in time, he is absolutely right. Convergence was originally meant to be nothing more than here's a way so that everybody at DC can take a break and move their shit from New York to California, and okay, everybody gets a last look at their favorite characters from all over DC's history, and then we go right back to the new 52. And they pivoted on a dime when they realized what Secret Wars was, and when they realized some of their books that were a little bit out of band from what the New 52 was originally meant to be, you know, we're really getting an audience. Okay, well, why don't we take this opportunity to loosen up the New 52 and open up to do different kinds of books and sort of back off the all-in that the New 52 was? The problem that I have, yes, that applies to this particular moment in time, but Marvel's known Secret Wars is coming for as long as they have because that's the move they started making in response to the initial serious popularity of the New 52. <laughs> Hickman took over the Avengers in early, mid-2012, about yeah. six months after. Yeah, of course you're going to go in that direction. At the time, it was making DC millions of fucking dollars. Right. So it's it's a little disingenuous to say that it's something that was planned organically and not as a complete reactionary move to the other publisher. Yeah. Now that said, it was clearly a well-planned reactionary move. Yeah. It's, but... it's clearly well-oiled and everybody is on the same page and they their, their stories are complementing and dovetailing into each other. And they were clearly hoping that, you know, okay, a few years in and now Secret Wars will, will be our moment in the sun. Not realizing that, oh, shit, well, here's a good opportunity for us at DC to sort of loosen things up and say it's a soft reboot at exactly the same time. Yeah. The, the timing, it's just awful timing. <laughs> it's good for readers because there's cool shit happening on both sides. But... Yeah, I think that's the important <laughs> takeaway. But yeah, it just you get that at Marvel panels that we got our shit together and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, I'm so glad that Batman found the softer side of Sears. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was a a backhanded compliment that Cordelia gave Willow in the pilot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're digging deep on this one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but. All right, so the only other, other thing I have from uh, from this panel is just sort of a uh, tease from Nick Lowe on particular characters that, at least in the Secret Wars Spider-Verse book, we're going to see. Well, if, if you want to hear about those other characters with uh, Aranya and Spider-UK and, and Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen! Spider-Gwen and Spider-Ham. Uh, you got to pick up Secret Wars Spider-Verse. And that, that is all those characters, and it picks up almost directly from, uh, in a way, from the uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 15. So, all right. I think we all could have guessed those characters would have been in Spider-Verse, but yeah. again, considering the opening empty hype on the panel, it was right. good. To, what? Concrete? Real <laughs> information? Wait a minute. Let me I, cut that out. I can't hear that clip though without for some reason hearing spider-man noir as spider-man guar which i think would be a really interesting concept i would buy the <laughs> hell out of spider-man guar <laughs> i want to write that down <laughs> yeah do that <laughs> yeah matter of fact that's probably the title 
Yeah, and if it's not that, it's this. I will I am, cut you. I am the worst fucking person in the world. <laughs> All right, so you want to talk the new DC Universe panel? Sure. How are we doing on time? We're at 51 minutes. Okay, we will uh, try to move quickly because, yeah, it's, uh, again, late on Wednesday and we're we're not used to even remotely trying to function this late on yeah. a Wednesday night. So the tough part about this panel for me is it was called the new DC Universe a couple of weeks into Convergence. Right. So what I believed would be talked about would be, yep, here's specifically what the DC universe is going to look like after as we come out of Convergence. <laughs> and that was most decidedly not the case. No. <laughs> this was individual books were talked about, um, you know, mostly good books, some brand new ones that look kind of interesting. But yeah, it, and we talked about this uh, on our Friday recap show people specifically it was the first question convergence what's happening and very everybody's oh no none of us are working on that we don't know it's like well you called the fucking thing the new dc universe right <laughs> you know if the panel was called free hand jobs and i'm walking out there dry <laughs> i i have questions about your fucking marketing god damn it um <laughs> <sighs> i feel better who's moderating the free hand jobs panel um uh, let's see. Let me try to go back through this. Uh, Heath Corson uh, was the moderator, and he's actually going to be the writer on Bizarro. Yes. Uh, who else was in this? Uh, James Tinney in the fourth, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, and Amanda Connor were there. Um, Genevieve Valentine, who's writing Catwoman. Uh, uh, am I missing anything here? The guy who's writing We Are Robin. Yeah, and I'm looking for that. Oh, uh, Carrie Randolph. And actually, he's yeah. not writing it. He's drawing it. Drawing it. Okay. Uh, and uh, at the end, there was a surprise guest there and was. a surprise announcement, <laughs> which we talked about a little bit. And I'm not sure we have a, a hell of a lot more to add. But um, all right. And this actually, I think, is the, the longest clip that we have because this is where I first started editing. And I was damned if I was going to go back and cut the thing <laughs> down. But um, so the first book they talked about was Harley Quinn. Yep. Uh, so here's Amanda Connor, uh, who co-writes that book with Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, talking about uh, some of the stuff that's coming up in that book. <laughs> so Harley is, is, much like all of us, very overworked, and she's having trouble balancing, you know, being a professional doctor and uh, being a non-professional psychopath and trying to... By the way, that tapping you hear is not me masturbating. Uh, I was trying to get the volume levels right. This is the first time I recorded a panel with that new recorder. So you're going to hear, you know, occasional. And I apologize for that. As long as there's no <clears throat> after. I cut that part out. Oh. Save the world and be savior of all animals. So that's a lot of plates to spin. So what she has decided to do is hire a gang of Harley. So she... A Harley gang? Nobody's ever thought of that. <laughs> He's um gone all over the tri-state area in New York and hired a bunch of people from Brooklyn, Staten Island, Bronx, and, you know, Manhattan. What's the premium? No love for Queens? <laughs> no fucking love for Queens? Son of a... ...purposed for being showing a gang of hard <laughs> Showing up, well, the, actually, you have to show up and you have to be able to kick some behind. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the A-word. Uh, <laughs> Astoria. Astoria. Um, and um, so uh, actually, the um, the people that are left standing are the people who are hired. And who is left standing? 
You just give me this horrible look now when I do it. And I, I should stop doing it. Sugar Man. Sugar Man's <laughs> moderating the freehand jobs panel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, one of, one of the other things coming up, and you may have seen the panel online. Um, it's a, a dude holding Harley up in a phone booth. Yes. And the gag is Harley saying, what's a phone booth? But apparently that's a riff back on an old Action Comics cover from the early 70s, from an issue that was written by Carrie Bates. Oh, okay. And the character in that uh, is named Captain Strong. And it was a character I wasn't familiar with, so I Googled it. And apparently he's a Popeye parody. That that would make sense. And, yeah, and there was a whole Popeye family parody in this. Um, and, yeah, it's except Spinach made him insane and super <laughs> powerful, so he attacked Superman. So, yeah, here's Jimmy Palmiotti on, on a little of his background. And there's... Um... <laughs> Some alien, uh, uh, what we call it, seaweed, that gives them the powers. I know, it's ridiculous, but it's one <laughs> Everybody who's been thrown off a cruise ship has a chance of gaining these powers if they take a mouthful of this stuff. So when I chuck my fucking parents off a cruise ship, I said, no, I'm giving you superpowers. It's going to be fine, Mom. I want you to sign these papers before I give you superpowers, Mom. Jesus. Don't look down. <laughs> uh, Son of the year? <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, uh, all right. So then there was uh, some stuff. There's a uh, Harley Quinn and Power Girl miniseries yes. uh, that's that's on the way. And the, the concept behind this actually was kind of interesting. I don't think I read this particular issue of Harley Quinn they're talking about. Because I think you, you're more into that book than I am. It's, but, a, uh, it's an enjoyable book. It's not bad when I've read it. It's just one of those. It, it winds up in the pile and it just seems I never seem to get to it on a regular basis but it makes me giggle well all right but so yeah uh it's here's the concept of where the thing comes from this six issue miniseries takes place in between the two panels where they go into clock king's like you know dimensional ring and come out so and it like it's like a whole two weeks worth of adventures that happen in between those two panels <laughs> and that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and and find that issue. But uh, getting back to what we were saying with the differences between, say, this and a Marvel panel, we learned a lot of things beyond, so this is a book, it's going to have Harley and Power Girl in it, doing Harley and Power Girl things um, in the area in which they live. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And particularly in the Batman panel, yeah, Scott Snyder was <laughs> he was very forthcoming with you know, and we've talked about you know the Bat Bunny. Yeah. He flat out said he called the Bat Bunny suit and kind of made fun of the name, but you know, really talked about why they did that and particular things that this version of Batman is going to do, and he addressed the gun in his hand and ways right. he's gonna operate and how the the books came across and particular things that are gonna happen. There was a ton of information there and Everyone on that panel and in this one was, you know, just clearly happy to be working on these books. I mean, but, you know, my she's God, giving... when we get to Heath Corson talking about fucking Bizarro. Oh, my God. But, I mean, she's talking about very specific things that happened in the book. So if you haven't read that book already, you might get interested and go find that book. I want to find those two panels. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to dig through the dig through the bags yeah. until, we can, until I can get my hands on it. Whereas if you haven't read Ms. Marvel before you learned nothing that was going to make you want to go read that book if you weren't already reading it. Yeah. And, and just clearly Paul Miotti and Connor are just having 
such fun trying to put this together. I mean, here's Palmiotti talking about the, the same, yeah, the same storyline. You know what? I, I thought maybe one day, like, I'll just have that add that extra pound with the ring, and then one day it'll let us tell the story in between. It's sort of like how we make work for ourselves. <laughs> and um, so the joke was that you know every it did very well. Those issues did very well, and then we pitched it, and I said, well, you know, a lot happened between us two rings because. Power Girl comes out with a wedding dress, and uh, and Harley Quinn comes out with a bunch of three-eyed cats. Yeah, and we say there's a big story to tell there, and we we kind of con them into letting us do it. I mean, that just sounds like they're having fun with it. Yeah, that makes me want to give it a try for Christ's sake. Yeah. Now, and Dan Slot, in general, talking about the Silver Surfer stuff again. I put that book on my polls because it sounded like he was having fun, and, right. and you know, just trying to put a you know. You talked about hype man before. That's what they were doing, and that—that's the best people at the best panels do that, right? You know, oh, it's a great Ms. Marvel story in a Ms. Marvel town, and it sounds like the shittiest Springsteen song ever. <laughs> yeah. So, all right the the other the other big book that there was a lot of talk about on this panel that uh, these guys are coming out with uh, Palmiotti and Connor is uh, Starfire. Yes. After the launch Starfire got in Red Hood and the Outlaws, <laughs> yeah, writer with pants on, and you've basically improved on, <laughs> on what we saw in the early Red Hood and the Outlaws. But clearly, these two understand they have a character that has a long history, and a lot of people legitimately love the character. Yes. Not me. I was always a Donna Troy type. Uh, <laughs> even when even I was young, I knew better than, these aren't real people. <laughs> I didn't have internet porn, but I had woods porn. I could I didn't need comic books, but <laughs> but uh so here's Amanda Connor talking about the basics of, of what we're gonna see in the the new soft rebooted <laughs> Starfire book. It's, it's gonna have a very different tone than Harley, but it's still gonna be fun. It's, okay. it's not gonna be really heavy. The best way to describe it is she's a fish out of water. Okay, she's from an alien planet. She doesn't really know very much, you know, anything about her. So she's like getting used to like trying to fit in. You know, she's trying to understand Earth culture and everything, and she doesn't understand a lot of Earth culture, so things get very confused. She doesn't understand what's going on all the time, but she's very smart, and a lot of times she saves the day. Now, for a Starfire fan, I'm sure that is extremely comforting. Yes. That she's trying to go back to a more basic. It wasn't enough to sell me on the book. But I might read it. Yeah, but what Jimmy Palmiotti said very quickly, it's like, okay, clearly there's there's still a sense of humor going on here. And this series takes place where? In Key West, Florida. Yeah, the fun of Key West is that, well, she's orange and everybody else there is too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got my attention. I might see how that goes. But And really, when it came to their presentation on the book, that's really all they left it at. But again, because it's such a popular character with a large demographic of comic readers, there were multiple questions about Starfire that came yes. about exactly the shit you would expect people to ask. Yes. People who loved Starfire from New Teen Titans or you know grew up with Teen Titans Go and saw her just slutted up yeah. with Roy Harper in that first issue of Red Hood. And there were at least two questions that came down to, is she going to be a whore? Is she going to be a whore like she was in Red Hood and the Outlaws? 
So yeah, I mean, the first sort of oblique question was, uh, are we even gonna see the outlaws? And <laughs> not immediately, but it, it could happen in, in the future. We we have some other characters that we want to sort of mix her up with before we go back to, um, you know, like making her be pantsless and just cruising for dick. Guys that she's been hanging out with for, uh, you know, the past few months or years. How long has she been here? <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, eventually. Yeah, that was sort of the most awkward, yeah, we're not going to fucking do that, that I've ever heard. Yeah, she broke up with the outlaws, and she's going to be seeing other people. Yeah. She might, you know, see them later after she's figured out and gotten closure and kind of moved on. She needs some me time, some me time with some pants. <laughs> Me time with pants. <laughs> Maybe some clothes and some memory enhancing herbal tea. Ginkgo biloba. <laughs> <laughs> Gungo balunga. <laughs> and and the next one was almost literally is Starfire gonna be a whore? <laughs> I mean, it, they worded it nicer because they were in public, but it was the the question was, is she gonna be as promiscuous as she was in that yeah. book? She's not promiscuous in the way she's she comes from a planet where you're not very uptight about, you know, you're not uptight about sexuality, you're not uptight about nudity, and we address that in the comic where, you know, Earth people are like, you gotta put something on. She has like a different set of morality. Oh, she has a set. I, sorry, I should not have uh. said that out loud. <laughs> than, than Earth, Earthlings do. But, you know, it's... It's different, but it is it is different than, than how it is in in the Red Hood. Let's just pretend that interjection was my Scott Lobdell impression and move <laughs> on with it. So clearly they want to move that character back in a more classic yes. direction, which is good news to a lot of people. I don't I don't have a lot of history with Starfire. Um even when New Teen Titans came out, I was really, at that time, I was more of a Marvel guy. I didn't become really into DC until after Crisis, which was sort of uh, just post the big, I think it was 1984 was mm -hmm. when New Teen Titans hit. So, but yeah, I mean, even though I don't have love for the character, you know, the way a lot of people do, what they did to her, what Scott Lobdell did to that poor girl. Yeah. Goldfish memory and drop trow. I just. <laughs> yeah. It was right. not a, a good thing. All right. So so one that I know you and I will be able to talk about was they talked with uh, James Tinney and the fourth about the upcoming Constantine the Hellblazer. Yes. They have canceled the Constantine book and are relaunching it almost immediately with uh, Constantine the Hellblazer. And uh, they apparently want to uh, modern modernize old John. Yes. So here's a uh, Tinian on, on some of the characterization and what he wants to uh, to do with that. This was a character that walked out of the contemporary world and into the comic books. This is someone who felt vibrant and alive and dangerous. Uh, and a figure that you didn't know if you could trust him because you probably couldn't, but you were still drawn to him. And uh, we wanted to bring that back in a, in a modern contemporary sense. We wanted it to feel like this is the John that you'll see him standing in the corner of the bar and you don't know if you want to have a conversation with him because you have a sense that if you do, it could destroy your life. And you're right, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're not going to go over there. Now, Constantine was originally supposed to be a 70s punk who got into magic. So if we're modernizing him, 
I don't know, early 2000s New York mumblecore. Um, Jesus. Boy band, former boy band member, perhaps. <laughs> Marky Mark. Johnny C from the Bum Elders. <laughs> Guar. <laughs> no. no. That's really more what, the 80s? Yeah, Guar is not uh, modernized. No. Um, I mean, look, on paper, you know, fine. Bring a, a little bit more of a of a modern twist to it. I'm okay with that. Characters have to evolve, for Christ's sake. Mucous Membrane, I suppose, could be a boy band. Jesus. A, a ska band from from Boston. Green Day? <laughs> Somebody would have noticed. Somebody would have noticed, yeah. But, um, and yeah, here's just a, a short thing on why... Why they're bringing back the uh, the Hellblazer name? Like Hellblazer means horror. It's a this yeah. is a horror comic, and we wanted to take the character back into his horror roots uh, and tell a very frightening, very contemporary story. Now I'm for that, except uh, Hellblazer doesn't mean horror. Hellblazer means that they realized that Hellraiser movies were coming out in the '80s, and they didn't want anybody to feel like they were stepping on a trademark. Right. That's literally where the name came from. Yeah. But. So I'm for that. I, I we have talked before and we've written on the site about how, yeah, the original John Constantine Hellblazer book was a favorite for years, and it was a straight up horror book. It didn't have a place in the DC universe, right? Even though realistically, Constantine started in Swamp Thing before Swamp Thing was Vertigo. I mean, John Constantine was on the satellite in Crisis on Infinite Earths, for Christ's sake. That's right. He was part of the DC universe, but he really came into his own when they when they went Vertigo and pushed him out. Yeah. So on paper, yeah, you're going to do a real horror book and sort of take him out of, you know, casting spells with Zatanna <laughs> in Justice League Dark. I'm for that. But uh, they did one... Unforgivable sin. Uh, yep. Yeah, you, you know what I'm going to talk about. That they changed his fucking coat. They changed the fucking coat. God damn it. I know some people are upset that you changed the coat a little bit, but that's, uh, you know what? You know, people change clothes. It looks, yeah. looks yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. No. No, that's <laughs> the whole point. Constantine does not change the coat. The, the coat has its own storyline. <laughs> I'm not convinced John Constantine changes his underpants, for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, God. I can only imagine the storyline of the underpants. Now, what what was that storyline? I it, vaguely remember it. But. There, there was a storyline, it was, I think, during Milligan's run, where he he lost track of the coat, and, and the coat took on literally a life of its own because every time somebody found it, they would start start to have delusions of grandeur and start acting erratically and then ultimately end up dying. Because <laughs> <laughs> the coat has just become so imbued with all of the magic and evil shit that he's been around that it just has literally its own life. I have a coat with similar powers. Uh, if somebody puts it on and goes outside, they are pulled over because they stink of beer. <laughs> But there's a, there's a little more in this sound clip. Let me let me get to the rest of it. When John first put on the trench coat, it was like it was part of like a very contemporary outfit. Yeah, I don't think you know where does one even buy a trench coat that looks like that? Except trench coats are classics of fucking fashion. Well, yeah, they they go on to make some jokes about London fog and Burberry, but they're around. 
Yeah, and I'm sorry, a duster coat is always going to be coat. The coat they've got them in is the coat they have them in in the TV show. Right. The sort of three-quarter length. Yeah, and that's certainly fine. It beats the shit out of Keanu Reeves, I guess. But it's it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. God damn it, John Constantine wears a trench coat and he smokes cigarettes. They're going to they're gonna put him in a Red Sox varsity jacket and have him vape his way across the world. <laughs> And I say that I'm holding an e-cigarette in my hand right fucking now. And it's like, no, it's not cool. I'm not cool. This keeps me from buying cigarettes. That's all it is. I, there, it, it sounds like he's got some interesting and not interesting, some good ideas. Let's make it a horror book. Let's yes. bring it back closer to the basics and away from the superheroics. But I, it, <laughs> it comes down to this is a comic book. And when you change a comic book character's costume, you face shock and fucking damage. Yeah. Most of us are not equipped to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, just just flat out say you're trying to either give the character a more modern silhouette and, and own that you're going to take shit from the readers anyway. Just, yeah, leave the coat, but give him a bigger collar and some armor lines on the fucking <laughs> coat. Just new 52 him up. Maybe he needs gauntlets with Wolverine shit. I yeah, don't... <laughs> take his underpants away. That's all you have to do. Work for Superman. It's the same coat, but you know what? We took his underpants. It was some sort of weird Mandarin collar for no fucking reason. And he's he's wearing a he's wearing a jock strap with a with a with ass floss. It's <laughs> that's the costume change and some armor lines. Ugh. I, I will read the book. I love the character John Constantine. I didn't necessarily like what happened with him after the new i didn't necessarily like what happened with him after brightest day for christ's sake right i think that ray fox toward the end of his constantine line really had his hands on it i like what tinian did with batman eternal yeah i think he's a pretty decent writer so i will definitely give this a shot yeah absolutely he'll be back in the trench coat in 18 months <laughs> that's when i also estimate superman will get his underpants back Gee, I don't suppose there's some movies coming out. <laughs> uh, well, that's another one. I didn't pull a, a clip from this, but uh, yeah, what's it called? Dark Universe? Yep. Uh, Justice League Dark is going to become Dark Universe, and I think that's because that, I think, is the current working title of Guillermo del Toro's project yes. uh, to make a, a DC Vertigo Dark uh, movie. Yes. So, all right, I'll try that. All right. Um, yeah, all right. I don't want to burn through this, but yeah, we got to step up the pace. So yeah, uh, got a couple things. And this is a book that was not on my radar at all because... Why would it be? It's got Robin in it. I don't give a shit about Robin. <laughs> or at least on paper, it, it had Robin in it. But apparently that's not the case. Um, so yeah, we got uh, Carrie Randolph, who is the uh, artist on We Are Robin, talking a little bit about the uh, the basics of the book, which is really the first that, that I had really heard anything about it. And it was relatively interesting. interesting yeah. So. What is the game of Robins? Like, remember when Dark Knight Returns, how there was the, the yes. game, the game? Yeah. It's a mix of that and, like, Mute Vendetta with a little bit of a... I don't want to say hip-hop. Yeah, the hip-hop twist. Okay. It's very, if, if Batman is, like, kind of rooftops, this is, like, street street level. Now, hip-hop means nothing to me because I am an old white man. <laughs> so that part doesn't uh, doesn't appeal to me at all. But I suspect he's uh, making a reference, perhaps, to the involvement of urban youth as, well, a, as members of, of this group of Robins. Just because I don't like rap doesn't mean I'm mentally retarded, for Christ's <laughs> sake. 
I get what he was saying, and that's fine. But I was just trying to help. And I need the help. I need as much I like help to as be I helpful. can get. You're extremely helpful. Thanks. God damn it. That's, that's what you get. That's what you get. But yeah, the idea of street kids who just decide, yeah, okay, we're the Robins, as if the Crips are the Bloods. Yeah. And but we're going to fight crime and corruption. That sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. So yeah, he had a, a little bit more about a, a particular character and a, the, sort of the general tone of the book. The book kind of revolves around a kid who shows up in unless it's Batman Um So it's kind of like his initiation in a degree into being a rock and what that entails. Uh, it's it's a little violent, but <laughs> I, totally. What are we looking at? This is a like you said, street level. It's yeah, yeah, dark. Yeah, and there's, there's going to be some stuff. There's, there's stuff with cops. There's stuff with kind of political things as well. It's it's topical, I would say. I mean, that doesn't sound bad to me. No. So it, I'll give that one a shot. And I've, again, I see the word Robin and I, I tune out. Yeah. And, and I always have. You know, I'm, I'm one of those 80s, you know, fans who hopefully has matured somewhat from being 16 year old, 16 years old and reading the dark Knight returns for the first time. And, you know, but uh, there's no room for Robin. Batman would never put a child at risk. I don't necessarily believe that now, but I know I don't like Damian Wayne. He's a snot. So, (laughs) so the word Robin is never high on my list, but that one doesn't sound bad. Yeah, no, Uh, I'm, I'm interested in it. You're becoming punchy. I can tell. You're drinking wine from a sippy cup. It's pink. It does not taste like punching a police officer. <laughs> but it is that much more deadly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sad thing. I'm not lying. She's drinking wine from a sippy cup. We <laughs> About a year and a half ago, we bought a leather couch. <laughs> we saved for years to get this leather couch. And... <laughs> That we almost had a couple of accidents, so I got hammered, and I went on Amazon, and I literally bought Amanda a wine sippy cup, and I bought myself a beer sippy cup. <laughs> and it's it looks like a pint glass, but if you look inside the wine one, it looks like they've hammered a fucking wine glass into a pint glass with, with, a, uh, with a spill-proof lid. Yeah. Which I really should use my sippy cup around all this sound equipment. <laughs> but... You're much smarter than I am. I have good ideas. Yes, you do. <laughs> All right, we're we're both becoming punchy. So so yeah, let's let's go through uh through the rest of this. So next is Bizarro and yeah, Heath Corson. This was sort of the unexpected money shot of the whole panel. Yeah, he just clearly loved the idea that he was doing this book and loved the idea of Bizarro so goddamn much and really just wants people to give it a chance and like it. Yeah, Again, Bizarro, like We Are Robins. It's like, I don't care about Bizarro all, all that much. Yeah. I might have tried it, but the, just based on, on the sales, that the sales job that he did on it, right? it, it sounds like fun. So, so yeah, here's his basic concept behind what he's trying to do with at least the first arc. And the concept for the Bizarro book is, uh, it's Jimmy Olsen and Bizarro in planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> That's the, it's the two of them on a road trip across country to Bizarro America, a.k.a. Canada. Of course Bizarro America is Canada. Of course it is. That's fucking gold. <laughs> Just that concept is gold. Yeah. It's like, you, sir, have my attention. And the first, uh, here's the thing on the first 
villain in air quotes that they're gonna fight. So we're gonna be doing a tour through a lot of the uh, DCU. Our first stop is in Smallville, where they uh, run afoul of uh, Rex Tuttle, AKA King Tut, the uh, king of slightly used automobiles. The hand job king of Smallville. Jesus. The pharaoh of pharaoh deals. Uh, and he is our bad guy for the very first issue. I mean, Jesus, Bizarro and Jimmy Olsen, of, of course they were going to go to Smallville. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, the idea they have to just fight some fucking used car salesman. I mean, Jesus. I mean, that's not swinging for the fences, but that's, uh, okay, somebody just wants to have fun. And yeah. I respect that. And he's he's got interesting ideas. Uh, you know, if I say the character of Bizarro... I couldn't. I could name the character of Bizarro. He talks backwards and punches Superman. Yes, that's, that's, that's basically what he does. it. But it, clearly, Corson has has put some thought into it, and it it sounds it. I'm not sure if it sounds like fun or tragic, but it sounds kind of cool. Well, just the idea of pa uh, pairing him up with Jimmy Olsen, because you know, you, Superman and his pal Jimmy Olsen. Okay, let's talk about Bizarro and his. Not pal Jimmy Olsen, like because Bizarro. Uh, uh, yeah, his his mortal enemy, his <laughs> his douche buddy. I have no idea. But, sorry, more beer. Um, but so so yeah, here's some uh something uh, the bill oh, Christ. Maybe I don't need more beer. This M Bizarro characterization. We're gonna have some cameos. We're gonna have a whole bunch of goofy jokes. Um, Bizarro has a chupacabra. Uh, named Colin. Uh, the whole reason that I'm the one who's perfect to write this is because Bizarro just wants to be loved. That's all the man wants. He is just a big nerve ending of love and need and just runs around wanting everyone to like him. So, Particularly the handjob king of Smallville. I <laughs> understand why nobody does. And I like that. <laughs> It never would have occurred to me, but putting it that way, yeah, okay. Someone it's who's true. completely backward and totally misunderstood, and yet the avatar of Superman just sort of uh, not the reverse avatar, but but never evil. He was always just sort of a goofball. Yeah, he it's, he was misguided but well intended. Yes, so. So yeah, it's <laughs> and now he has a chupacabra. I never get a chupacabra. Name, why, why can't I have a chupacabra? Because you have a cat. Oh right, we can barely handle the goddamn cat. Okay, would eat the cat. It's true. And then you'd be sad. I would be very sad. So we can't have that. So quit bitching about the chupacabra. Your birthday's coming. You'll get something. Okay. <laughs> All right. So yeah, how are we doing on time? Uh, it's uh hour twenty two. Okay. Um. All right, so so yeah, why don't we do a, a couple of these? Uh, actually, no, this is the the last one before the the big announcement one. Yes, uh, this is Genevieve uh, Valentine who is uh, taking over Catwoman. Now, Catwoman in the last few issues, and again, I've I've only read a couple of them, has uh, coming out of Batman Eternal been the mob boss, the kingpin, if you will, <laughs> of the underworld in Gotham, and that's fine, but. That's not necessarily Catwoman. It's not why we read Catwoman. Yeah, and it sounds like Valentine has a, a decent plan to sort of have her cake and, and eat it too. Get her back in the suit. Yeah, so let's do a, a little something with that. She doesn't like dealing with anybody, but she absolutely likes getting shit done. So all you need to do is put her in charge of everyone and see how ruthless she's going to be. 
Um, and the first arc, we sort of played around with testing those limits. Because uh, of course, she's always been a very morally great character, but there's like such a dark gray that we're hitting a point where can she come back? Um, and I was really excited that at the end of the last arc, at the beginning of this one, she realized that in order to get everything done the way she needed to do it, she had to be some Nephile and So she is now back in the suit. Um, and dealing with some people that she was not expecting to ever have to see again. Now, see, this is tough for me because when it comes to Catwoman, really the characterization I've always liked best was the one coming out of the series that Ed Brubaker started. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where she was certainly not at the level of crime boss and wasn't even really doing crimes, but was really almost like the daredevil of Gotham City, working in the the scummier areas like well batman is off fighting man bat and the joker and you know catwoman was was dealing with what was going on you know in their version of hell's kitchen yeah so catwoman as crime boss certainly is a better idea that intellectually works better for me than catwoman as straddling batman on the top of a building as we saw in uh issue one of uh Judd Winnick's run, and I oh. like Judd Winnick as a writer. <laughs> I will stand by Judd Winnick uh, next to almost anything. He earned a lot with Barry Ween from me, no matter what else he's done. Yeah. But yeah, that first issue, oh my God. And the moment I realized that Gillum March had drawn her mask to look like a bra, so she had tits on her face. <laughs> so, yes, Catwoman as a business suit wearing crime boss, that's better. <laughs> but fine taking that and then putting her back in the suit and i can deal with that uh, up to a point yeah I, i'll be curious to see where this goes i i had tuned out for a bit but i'm again because she's providing enough information that i know where the story might go i will be inclined to pick up these books well then even worse and i hate to say this about ann nascenti who i will stand by up to a point for what she did on daredevil in the 80s but that first couple issues where she took it over and went straight to stealing the Selena Kyle origin from Batman Returns. Yeah, which worked fine in a two-hour movie back in the day when there was no continuity except within like the Batman to Batman Returns. Fine, this is a way to do it and make it shorthand that we can tell in five minutes. I can accept it, mostly because it puts Michelle Pfeiffer in the fucking rubber cat suit. You could have I... just said, "Here, cat suit." <laughs> okay, I'm with you. I believe the title to my review of that issue of the Andesenti, um inaugural run was... Oh, I forgot about this. Um, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, you can defend her you know, up and down for Daredevil all you want. This is also the woman that thought it was a good idea for um, Beast and Dazzler to get together. All right, well... <laughs> there are some drugs in there. That's all I'm saying. I <laughs> Look, my resume has a couple of black marks on it too. Nobody's <laughs> nobody gets through life without scars, but <laughs> so yes, the move to crime boss works better. Putting her back in the suit, yeah, I want Catwoman in the suit, not not for Michelle Pfeiffer reasons, <laughs> but it's, it's Catwoman. She's a fucking jewel thief. Yes, it's, put her back in the suit. There needs to be a certain amount of wall climbing and ass kickery. Yes. Um, there was, a. Oh God, I feel bad saying this up front. There, there was a spoiler that was released. Oh, <laughs> oh. Have an agenda that's purely personal. Right. And so for her, for very personal reasons, uh, 
she has taken up sort of the Catwoman cowl again to sort of fight back against some of her own worst instincts of the mob boss. Um, and of course, the people that she never thought she would see again keep popping up. Right. Like, spoiler. Get it? I said spoiler. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Uh. I mean, hey, look, for two or three years of conventions, people were screaming for Stephanie Brown. She's back. Okay. She's back. You can all shut up. <laughs> no, let's all move on to Cassandra Kane, apparently. And that's, I would like to see. I've never been vocal. I, I've never given a tin shit about Stephanie Brown. You know, I know a lot of people do. Hey, I'm glad she's back for you. Cassandra Kane, I would like to see again. I, I, somebody in this panel, or maybe it was the, the Batman one, um, intimated that we will be seeing Cassandra Kane in some capacity. I think that was in the Batman panel, yeah. but I'm still busy cutting that together, so I haven't re-listened to that that yeah. one completely so but yeah I, th I think that's the one so yeah i mean overall that was the panel uh right up until uh the big surprise where and they, now the big surprise the way they brought and uh, we're not spoiling anything on this it's been all over comics news since since last friday so yes. you know what we're going with here but uh yes this is brian azarella's announcement and this is what it sounded like imagine something for me all right did you imagine two letters and one number. Those letters are D, K, and three. Yeah. CB4? Yeah. <laughs> Smattering of confused applause. Say again? Smattering of confused applause. Well, yeah, let me back this up for a second, uh, if, I, if I can with this rig. Um, all right, give yeah, I had to amp the volume on it, but yeah, Jimmy Palmiotti said, now explain it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, see, we talked about this last night. It's uh, We didn't know what the fuck he was talking about either, because you know, the whole DK2 thing, that was only on the covers of the original issues. It's true. You know, the trade paperback, it's the Dark Knight Strikes Again. Nobody's referred to DK2 as Dark Knight Strikes Again in 15 fucking years that's, almost. That's true. So, of course, we didn't know what the hell is going on. But you know, and apparently there's a reality distortion field around Frank Miller. It affects people. It makes <laughs> makes people believe stuff. It's like Constantine's trench coat. Yeah. But, all right. So, yeah, here's the, the last part of Azarella's announcement. For the past six months, I've been working with Frank Miller. Bringing next chapter of Dark Knight to light. It's uh, it's been humbling. It's been exhilarating. I've learned a lot. I call him Sensei. <laughs> and he calls me Rubberneck, and we dance until dawn. It's a big, big project in the book. Really jazzed to bring it to you guys. No. I've said this before. I think I said it when we did our Friday recap show. I've softened my opinion toward All-Star Batman and Robin. Yep. I have not against The Dark Knight Strikes Again. And you recently reread that. It's Yeah, it was literally when we went to the comic store on Monday. Um, yeah, I probably hadn't read it since it came out. I probably read it a couple times at that point and said, yeah, this doesn't work for me. Um, I know I came across the issues as I was organizing the, the collection here and yeah, I didn't reread them then I put them in storage. So I hadn't read it in a long time. And, uh, the owner of our local comic store had a used copy 
which I picked up and reread the other night. Now, to be fair, I was drinking heavily. <laughs> I think there's more to it than I originally thought, particularly when you look at the layout and the use of color. He's clearly making a clean and distinct break from a large part of the visual style, at least with regards to layout, that he did in Dark Knight, uh, which makes sense with the tone of the story, with the idea of the reality TV generation, yeah. MTV generation, short attention span, so the idea of dense blocks of panels. No, it needs to be, oh, little things in the background and stuff moves around. and But overall, there's storytelling problems and it just seems like Dick Grayson pops up from nowhere for no reason and yeah it just feels very disjointed I I will need to read it again sober although I swore I would never do that but <laughs> paid 15 bucks for the used trade what the hell my excitement level for Dark Knight 3 is just not there yeah I I honestly am going to have to wait until we get a little closer to it and we find out more about it beyond the title, which is currently The Master Race. <laughs> yeah, now supposedly I read... Uh, well, it's not supposedly. I did read it. I just forget where I read it. I think I'm bleeding cool today. Uh, apparently, the original title was supposed to be Batman and Superman versus The Master Race. Okay. So right there, it gives you... Assuming that's true, you know, consider the source with bleeding cool... Yeah, could easily be rumor with no basis, but that tells you a little bit more about the plot as opposed to that original teaser art, which was you know, would lead you to believe that because it was you know the, the Superman symbol and the Superman symbol, the bleeding one from right. Death of Superman. Yeah, which would lead you to believe, okay, so it's going to be another Batman versus Superman throwdown. Superman must represent the master race. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but having just, again, drunkenly, but reread uh, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, they got the Batman Superman fight out of the way pretty early. Yeah, almost like Miller was saying, you know, okay, I realize that uh, people latched onto that in a way that was not necessarily yeah. healthy or what I was going for. And we've talked about that on a recent show. I think what he did with Superman in Dark Knight mm. was a lot smarter than people gave him credit for. But I think he realized people said, oh, people just said, that's cool. Fine. Here's first issue. Okay, now it's out of the way. Yeah. Now I can get on to this other stuff I want to do. Now, with that said, that other stuff he wanted to do, yeah, it wasn't no Dark Knight. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was more Batman versus... After this episode, I will retire that sound clip forever, I promise. Why do you hate me? I don't. I really <laughs> don't. I hate myself. This is, this is the equivalent of audio cutting. <laughs> Self-flagellation via Sugar Man. Yeah. But, and we talked about this on, on Friday. If it goes in a more criminal story direction, Azarello is a great crime writer. It is a good thing to have him involved. Uh, Miller's most recent stuff, I mean, uh, Holy Terror. Without an editor left to his own devices, he moves to excess, apparently, these days. So, yes. great, get him a co-writer. Visually, uh, the press release that DC put out after that announcement uh, is... Uh, we still don't know who the artist is. Right. You know, artist or artists. DC must know, 
the thing's supposed to come out in six months. <laughs> Somebody must have been hired, right? right. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just... I was hoping I would reread Dark Knight Strikes Again and soften toward it the way that I did with All-Star Batman and Robin. I softened toward Batman and Robin because as over-the-top as Batman was in that, I feel like the overall theme of that was Robin being their humanized yeah. Batman. Yeah. Batman was so over-the-top, and Robin, in his orbit, quickly became violent and almost a murderer. They realized that they needed each other. Robin needed a father figure. Batman needed someone to take care of. They needed to temper each other to become the dynamic duo as opposed to, I'm the goddamn Batman and, and some killer child in a cape. Yeah. And that is sort of ultimately what you hope for in a, a Batman and Dick Grayson as Robin story. Yeah, but even then, now having just read Dark Knight Strikes again, it almost ruins that because they clearly hate each other so much and Dick Grayson is so one-dimensional and... Uh, God, I hope for more from DK3, but if everything fails, I got my Dark Knight trade. There you go. That's all I got. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, God. All right. It's already after 10 o'clock. So, yeah. All right. Right now, the plan is we are going to do a second, probably shorter recap show, because the last panel that we do have that I'm still cutting audio from uh, is the Batman panel with Scott Snyder uh, and not have the notes in front of me. A cast of thousands. Yes. But... So we're going to do another recap show. We're going to try to do that tomorrow night. Should be briefer, but we will have, excuse me, audio from that. Uh, anything else uh, on this particular special episode? No, I, I just, like I said, I think it was good to to show the Marvel panel versus the DC panel so that you can kind of get the sense of the difference between the two in terms of sound bites and, and information one might glean yeah. from those kinds of panels. Yeah, it's, Amanda and I have always had the attitude... It, if you got time to go to one and it's DC versus Marvel, we have always gone to DC because the times we've gone to Marvel, it's more hype, more sniping at the competition and less real information. Yes. Generally. I have old notebooks of where I've been writing notes on these things where I've literally gotten capital letters, letters. You're not fucking telling us anything from Marvel panels. And let's face it. DC isn't out there spoiling all their books at their panels, but no, but they are slightly more forthcoming. They are. And they try to be entertaining as hell. Yes. Doesn't always work, but they try. Generally, they succeed. Yes. So, all right. So, I guess we are uh, done with this episode. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it should be another brief episode tomorrow, Friday at the latest. Certainly not Saturday. Because by then we have to have seen Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes. So, yes. But in the meantime, uh, yes, thank you for listening to this uh, special episode of the Christ on Infinite Midlife Show, episode 67. Yes. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Sugar Bear. And I will delete it right now.